Sometimes we ask our band to like step up and do random things other than worship songs and always puts them on edge. So thank you guys for doing that for us. I think it's actually a perfect intro into this sermon series that is called Words Matter. And you guessed it, it is based on the very creative premise that words, drumroll please, matter. They do matter. And actually, I think it's kind of an easy premise to sell. It's one of those basics of life that we already know. We don't need to be convinced of it. So many of us have heard words that have changed our lives. We have also received words that have changed our life. We're going to have to let you go. Let's just be friends. You're hired. Good job. I'm sorry, I have really bad news for you. The scan didn't come back good. I accept. Will you marry me? Guilty. I love you. I do. Words have the power to change the direction of your life. Whether you are the one saying them or whether you are the one receiving them. This is something we all know. But as I was preparing for the sermon, I kept coming across that old adage, actions speak louder than words. And I had to think about a little bit, well, how does that fit into what I'm saying if I'm trying to make the claim that words, our speech, is what matters most in our lives? And I realized there's actually a distinction between that adage and what I'm saying because actions do speak louder than words in certain situations, specifically if you are dealing with strangers or people who are unfamiliar with you. If a new neighbor moves in, how do you assess their character? How do you assess who they are? You observe them, you watch them creepily, you see if they take their bulk trash out at the right time, you do these things, you observe their actions, and then you put together a kind of evaluation of who they are. You do this with many acquaintances in your life. And in those cases, it's right that actions do speak louder than words. But in our most intimate relationships, with our close friends, with our family, with our spouses, with our partners, with our kids, the truth is we're so accustomed to the actions of those people that we kind of get used to how they act. And what ends up mattering the most is what they say. How many of us have held on to that one text message that your mother sent 20 years ago? Oh, they didn't have text 20 years ago. 10 years ago. And you still mull it over and bring it up in therapy to this day. Right? How many of us had that phone call with our sister-in-law? And man, you got off that and you just went on this tirade starting to think about what was her motivation? Why would she have said that? Surely it's because of how she was raised. We dig into what people say, but it's actually really particular people. It's actually the people that matter most in our lives. That's where our words matter. And I know the majority of you experienced it this summer. How many of you went on a family vacation with an extended family member? So not your personal family. You had to have a mother, a sister, or a mother and sister-in-law. It had to have someone that. How many? Raise your hands. It's all, almost all of you. Yes, you attempted a family vacation. And my guess is that I think that family vacations are the seedbed 
of the places that we say things we didn't mean to say, and then sometimes we don't say things that we probably should have said, and instead just like strategically avoid that person for the rest of the time and send some passive-aggressive looks their way. Yeah? Family vacations are this hotbed of this idea that words matter most in our most intimate relationships. Most of y'all know I just got back from a family vacation, and I got to experience this firsthand on this family vacation with my whole family. We're there, and it's, I have two siblings. My brother was there, and he said some comment, and y'all, I don't even remember what it was. But as soon as he said it, I like transformed into my 13-year-old self because I have a theory that that's what we all do when we're with our extended families. No, our families of origin, we go back to our middle school selves and are deeply insecure and start fighting like we're 13. And so I go back and I look at him and I roll my eyes and I say some snide remark. And you could tell as soon as he heard it, he becomes 12 again. So we're 13 and 12 just sitting there locked. And I literally, I put my hands to my face because I was so shocked that I had said that. And I told him, oh, oh God, in my normal adult life, Kirk, I don't talk like that. But in that moment, it was like my words just came out of me. And that happens to us in our families and in our friendships and in our marriages all the time. It's so weird because we actually know a little bit of how to control our words, kind of, because you do it at work. Most of the time you do it with normal people. You definitely do it with acquaintances. You're able to have discipline in your life with certain groups of people with your words. And then something happens and we get in these highly tense situations with our family and friends, marriages, and we send that text message and immediately we're like, oh, shoot, 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 delete, 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 delete. Can you unsend these? There's something that is just so hard about controlling our speech. Why is it so hard to speak good words? This is not a new issue. And today we are going to be looking at a letter that was written uh, thousands of years ago, and that letter is in James. James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And if you want to follow along, you can look up James 3. That's where we're going to be reading from today. But I'll also put it up here in the screen if you need it. And it's important to know that James is a collection of kind of advice on how to live as a Christian. It's often considered the most practical letters of the New Testament because it's trying to address certain ways of being, especially for the individual. So let's start where it starts in James chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers because we know that we teachers will be judged more strictly. So right off the bat, he calls me out, right off the bat. He is talking about himself though. He's giving himself an in. He's saying, I am part of this conversation too. He starts the premise of this letter by saying, hey, words really do matter. And those who teach, which were frequent in ancient Judaism when this is being taught, right? Christianity is just beginning to spread. There's tons of teachers, tons who are claiming to teach as well. There's tons of false teachers. And so he's saying those who speak, those who teach, because their lives are based on the amount of words that they say, their words are particularly valuable and therefore can be judged more strictly. And he goes on 
and he says, we all make mistakes often, but those who don't make mistakes with their words have reached full maturity. And I think this is so interesting. I actually didn't remember reading this verse when I was preparing for this, that for the author of this letter, Christian maturity is marked by the way you use your words. And at first I thought that was kind of a bold claim. And then I started to think about the people in my life who I would consider like spiritually mature, have it together. And I really started to assess that one of the primary ways that I know and I can recognize like physically in their behavior that they have reached that mark of maturity is how they use or mostly don't use their words. It was fascinating to me that it's right here in scripture, and yet it's something that we don't talk about as often, that we often talk about praying or these acts of worship as like spiritual maturity, knowing the Bible, things like this. But what an interesting idea that it might actually be how we speak that's the mark of Christian maturity. And he goes on, and he's, he, he's going through these series of illustrations. Like any, any good preacher and pastor, he goes into these three illustrations. And he starts off, and he says, Like a bridled horse, they can control themselves entirely, those who are spiritually mature. They can control themselves entirely. When we bridle horses and put bits into their mouths to lead them wherever we want, we can control their whole bodies. If you've ridden a horse or rode a horse this summer, you know that what that image looks like. The bit goes in the horse's mouth. You pull the reins. And what happens as soon as you start to lead it this way? Its head moves too. It's this really small piece that goes inside their mouth, but it has the power to control the entire body. And the author is starting to build this argument here that, look, when we move our mouths, our body follows as well. And those who can control their mouths, they can also control their body. And specifically, what he's referring to is their character and their heart. And then he moves on to that second analogy, and he says, consider ships. They're so large that strong winds are needed to drive them. But pilots direct their ships wherever they want with a little rudder. In the same way, even though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts wildly. So I just told you I was back on the, I got back from this family vacation, and, and one piece of it is that we went to a lake. And whenever we go to a lake, I love to paddleboard. I am not athletic at all, so paddleboarding feels like this one thing I can hold on to and feel like, yeah, 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 I fit in with my family, sure. And so I was paddleboarding at this lake, and I was thinking about this passage. And now I'm at the point in motherhood where my children want to go on the paddleboard with me and also want to help me paddle. Yes? So I gave them a little paddle, and I asked them. I was trying to explain how to go. We needed to get back to the dock. We were out in the middle of the lake. It was a little dangerous. And I was trying to, like, just say paddle. Just go. Just paddle. And my son starts, like, hacking wildly at the water and, like, mostly using the handle to, stir, to steer. And it occurred to me that I was like, no, he thinks the big part is what you use to steer. And I was like, no, 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 it's actually that little tiny part at the end. Like, that's what actually matters. And that was kind of revolutionary to him, to think that this little thing is what actually determines where you go. 
You have to use that little thing well in order to get where you need to go. The same thing is true with ships, and that's what James is referring to here, is that if that rudder, that little tiny piece, is off, if it is misdirected, then it can go anywhere. It can lead you into danger. It can lead you into the middle of the sea. You will not get where you need to go. And similarly, that little tiny piece, that paddle, that rudder, that tongue, acts the same way in our lives. It's small, it's innocuous. We say 16,000 words a day, come on, how are we gonna control all those? And yet, that small piece has the power to take you where you want to go. And this is point number one that I think James is trying to tell us. The power of the tongue can take you places. It will take you places. It just depends if those are the places you want to go. How you use your tongue takes your life in a different direction. And secondarily from that, what I think he's saying with the ship's analogy is it takes discipline and control to make sure you are headed in the direction that you want to go. We cannot just let our tongues flap loosely. Otherwise, we'll end up in the middle of the lake stranded way far away from what we said our destination was. But he doesn't leave it with the ships. He goes on to a third analogy, and he says, think about this. A small flame can set a whole forest on fire. The tongue is small flame of fire, and a world of evil is at work in us. If you were watching the news this week, and I hope you prayerfully were, you saw how that started, that analogy is lived out in our life. A small flame, what started as a small flame in Maui, devastated an island. Similarly, James is making that analogy that even though we think once again that the tongue is innocuous, innocent, not that big of a deal, it has power in it that we cannot perceive rightly anymore. And he continues, and let me warn you, this is a little strict. He's not very shy about his words in this next part. He says, it contaminates our entire lives, the tongue, that is. Because of it, the circle of life is set on fire. The tongue itself is set on fire by the flames of hell. People can tame and already have tamed every kind of animal, bird and reptile and fish. No one can tame the tongue, though. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And here's what I think his third point is. And this one... I think for some of us might feel a little strong. But as I thought about it this week, I I think he's right. He says, our tongue is poisoned by nature. And I thought about this a little bit. And I thought, is that true? Do we end up just thinking and and not able to control our words from the get-go? And that's a hard thing for me to accept, honestly, When we think about sin or brokenness in the world and how it touches us, we often think about the tragedies in our lives, the big things that happen, the big things that people do to us, the big things that we do. But we very rarely think about the things that we just assume are part of us. And as I started to think about, well, is 
there an element of brokenness in our speech? I started to think about my darling four-year-old daughter. I did not teach her to lie. And I know that's silly, but it's true. You don't teach children to misuse their words. You don't, or at least I hope I didn't. Yeah, but something in them figures it out when they're in this world. They figure out that speech can be used in different ways. They figured out the power of it. And if you have a really perceptive child like mine, you know that she can cock her head and put her hands behind her back and knows she can use a certain tone to get what she wants. And when she doesn't get what she wants, she'll turn into this and like yell with what she wants. She knows how to use her words. Does that mean anything about her? No, she's a child of God. But it means something about us. It means something about how the brokenness has touched us. And I would argue that speech is where we see that brokenness the most. You really only have to do a cursory glimpse of Twitter these days to see that that is true. Written text, emails, what we say. There is a problem with how we speak to each other. There is something that is off and you can hear it, you can read it, you know it. And even if you avoid those channels, even if you avoid Twitter, even if you avoid those comments, even if you say, I'm not one of those, we have so normalized the sin of speech that we have different names for it. We don't call it gossiping, we call it venting. We don't call it sarcasm or cynicism. We call it a joke. We don't even worry about taking the Lord's name in vain and saying things like, oh my God, or I swear to God, because that's, I mean, that's like what everyone says. We don't keep track of our speech because we've so normalized how we speak and the ways that it contributes to the brokenness in the world. And y'all, I say all those things and I do all those things. So I'm including myself. I wonder what it would look like if we started to understand that our speech matters more than we think it does. That our words matter more than we think it does. And that leads to what I think is his fourth point is that the poison affects everything. He says that, right? He said it consumes your life that the power of the tongue can consume your life. I heard this story uh, this week from a pastor who talked about he was going to a church event and there was this guy like kind of fumbling around towards the event, but he looked kind of angry. And so the pastor being who he was stopped him and said, hey, can I get, do you anything? Can I, can I get you anything? And the guy turned to him and just started cussing him out. And the pastor was so taken aback, doesn't happen very often to pastors, let me tell you. And, and so the pastor was so taken aback, he immediately like, started asking questions. And it turns out that the young man uh, was looking for the hospital, and he had the wrong address. And so the pastor went into pastor mode, got in his car, took him to the hospital, dropped him off, went to the event. Next day, called the hospital, asked after the patient, visited him. Turned out that the young man had had a ruptured appendix. 
and he was walking around with a ruptured appendix. And if any of y'all have been close to that, have had appendicitis, you know that the appendix holds that bile and that bacteria. And when it ruptures, what is the threat? That your body gets filled with poison. I think that image shows the power that our tongue holds. That just this little piece of us, just this little piece of our body has the power to change everything. It has the power to change who we are. Because we get in these cycles of gossiping or blasphemy or cynicism or sarcasm, and soon enough, we just keep doing it, we get stuck in these verbal loops. And after that verbal loop goes around and around again, guess what? It becomes who you are and how people know you to be. Poison affects everything. It cannot be isolated. James goes in to this last point, and he's talking about the hypocrisy here because he's saying, with the tongue, we both bless the Lord and the Father and curse human being made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come from the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, it just shouldn't be this way. Both fresh water and salt water don't come from the same spring, do they? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree produce olives? Can a grapevine produce figs? And this leads to the last and final point, is that the product of your mouth reveals the priorities of your heart. Jesus sums it up almost word for word in Matthew. He says, what fills the heart comes out of the mouth. We talk about this loop a lot, how your heart in the Bible is often connected to whatever behavior you do and how they're kind of a a loop, like an infinity loop. So what you say eventually becomes who you are. Who you are eventually becomes what you say. And they go over and over and over again and what builds your character is your behavior. And your character also builds your behavior. This is exactly that same principle that James is trying to say and Jesus here. If it were as easy as just me telling you, control your mouth, then I would just say that. And honestly, that would be no different than any self-help book. But what I am saying is a little bit different. You cannot address the mouth without addressing the heart. There is no change in your mouth and what you say unless there is change in your heart. It has to start there. And as Christians, here's the other thing. We don't believe we're doing this alone. We believe that any meaningful, lasting change in your life starts and ends with the Holy Spirit. That there is a partner working in you to lead you to be more like Jesus. And that that is the end goal that all Christians are moving towards. Heart change is hard. It is hard for us who like lists and bullet points and progress trackers. It is hard for us who really want to see like meaningful linear change. But it exists. And I know it exists because I've seen it in your lives and you've told me about it. 
I know it exists from my own life. But if you are unsure of how to go about that change, I'm going to give you three steps. And honestly, these steps can be applied to literally any behavior that you have. We often call these the contemplative stance. It's the way forward for meaningful spiritual change. So this week, this series, next three weeks, you have homework. I want you to start acting on these steps. And the first step is simple enough. I want you to take account of your words. The first step to any meaningful change is to notice where you are. Honestly, for some of us, this is going to be real easy because most of you spend a lot of your time texting rather than speaking on the phone. And so it's going to be easy to go back and check those read and unread messages and see where your words are. Now, you might think, well, what am I trying to notice? Like, what am I seeing? I want you to just read some. Choose one conversation, maybe, that you are having particular struggle with. One relative, one relationship that's, like, pretty difficult for you right now. I want you to go back and look at emails or texts, or you can evaluate spoken speech if you want. And I want you the first time to just read through. Maybe over the course, depends on how much you talk to them, but maybe over the course of the week. That's the first thing I want you to do. Then the second time you read through those, I want you to name a place where the spirit is inviting you change, inviting you to change. And this is where I think it gets a little like, whew, for some people. Some of you, and this is okay, have never invited God into this process before. Sometimes it doesn't even occur to us. We just think that this is a task that we have to do on our own, that we have to like bootstrap it together and like figure it out. But let, friends, that is not the way to do it. God wants to help you in this process. And I can guarantee you that when you read over those text messages, the Spirit is trying to tell you something. If you struggle with determining where the Spirit is moving for you, that can look like coincidence. It can look like, huh, I noticed that word twice, both times I read it through. It can notice like a particular response from the other person that was really strong and go back and read what you said before. It can also be in the words of other people. So if there's a confidant that you want to share this task with, and especially if they're a believer and Christian, you can ask them like, hey, where do you think in this thread, like the spirit is needing me to change? Ask where the Spirit is inviting you to change in that dynamic and name it, out loud or written. And then lastly, pray for the Spirit to intervene. And I know this isn't as, like, like, you know, actionable sometimes as we want. We want it to be, like, this thing that we can do, that we can check. But that's not how meaningful change works, especially when you're asking to change a habit that you literally do every day. You have to have the Holy Spirit with you. And in order to do that, you have to communicate with the Holy Spirit to come. The invitation needs to exist from you. That is our task. That is why we are here participating in this change, is to be vessels for the Spirit to act like God on this earth. And you cannot do that alone. Prayer can look like a lot of things. I always, my favorite definition is directed attention. Just moving your mind to a place 
even if it is a word, which is what I often use, like a word like Holy Spirit come or a phrase. And that's all. I don't say that much when I'm praying for the Holy Spirit to come. I just take a moment, focus my heart when I'm especially in heated situations, and say a small phrase. And that's it. That can be your prayer. But as you go forward in these next few weeks, as you start to analyze and think about your speech differently, I want you to keep these steps in mind. I want you to actively bring your words to the forefront. And yes, I'm talking to adults, but those of you teenagers who I know, a lot of you start school tomorrow, I mean you too. Words matter no matter what age you are. And our words as Christians should look different, period. They should look different than the world. And when they don't, we need to take steps to make sure that we're in line with God in order to get where we want to go. Because the direction that we want to go is the way that God wants us to go. The destination is already set. The Lord is waiting on us. We just have to fix the paddle steadily. We have to ask the Lord to guide us. And we just have to paddle home. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, our words are so difficult to monitor because they're based on our feelings and our emotions and patterns and thought patterns that we've had for decades, some of us. But we know it's never too late. We know that you're inviting us into something better that there is something better waiting for us. We know that the way that we use our words sometimes, Lord, we, we use them in the way that they weren't intended. Sometimes we even use cruel words as a management strategy or as a parenting strategy. Lord, let us let that go. Let us know that it is not innocuous, that it has the power to consume our lives. It's the power to take us where we do not want to go. Lord, help us be kind to one another and lift up each other in love. Let us be different than the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.